Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, I'm going to do a deviation from my normal journaling to respond to some YouTube uh, content about um, there's a te mass teacher exodus and a teacher shortage and a substitute teacher shortage and a bus driver shortage. And um, this is content that I normally would tackle in my primary identity with my primary podcast in the blogs that I have and the books that I write. Um, but I wanted to just jump on here um, to provide a response to uh, the content. I want to freestyle it. And anytime I'm freestyling, I need to do it under this podcast because the other podcast, it's got to be more structured. So I don't have time to do it in that uh, space. Plus, I think in the spirit of authenticity, um, the topic demands authenticity, uh, authenticity, excuse me. So I'm doing it here. So um, if this isn't your jam, you can keep, you know, keep scrolling. I, I wouldn't be offended because this is really about teachers and education. If you are new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so primarily by using personality theory. The two that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs MBTI and the Enneagram. In the and Myers-Briggs, I'm an INTJ. and the Enneagram, I identify as a type 8, pushing those two together. I, I call myself an INTJ 8. Um, I'm also an, also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I claim to be a critical race feminist because I'm sensitive about power as relating to social constructs like race, gender, class, and sexuality. My podcast is unedited and it's unscripted. So there is value in being unscripted as a teacher. As an educator, my world is very controlled and structured, always starting with the end in mind and um, making sure we have objectives and targets and um, measurable outcomes. And so this is just a project where I don't have to do any of that. I can just show up, hit the record button and start talking. And that's what I'm doing. So if you want to know more about this project or me, you can go to my website at your NIDOM. .wordpress.com. So you guys, I'm not going to be here long. I, I, I listened to some content that populated on my YouTube channel. And it's a young lady that I follow on TikTok. She's super funny. I love her. I love, love her energy. I did not know she had a YouTube channel. And, um, and I didn't look at other videos. But this particular video was just her telling some truths about why there's a teacher shortage. Um... That uh, schools opened back up in the pandemic and everybody is asking us to go about business as usual. But it's not business as usual. At the elementary level, there are kids who have never been in the schooling environment. And so... There's content that they're being asked to uh, consume. The students are being asked to consume. Teachers are being asked to deliver for students who have not learned fundamentals. And 
I don't think it's impossible. I really don't. But I do think it is work that needs to be considered. Um, and I don't think school leaders are doing it. What I don't know is if school leaders have the choice to do that. And so that makes me question school boards. Like, it makes me think of two things. It makes me think about school boards. And it also makes me think, and I've always had this concern with teachers. And I've been in education for almost 30 years. You guys hear me say that. Oh, I didn't put that in my disclaimers. I am a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. And half of that time has been in leadership. And this is an interesting thing about the job I'm in this year. So um, in some, in the comments of this particular content from this young lady, and I think, I don't know if she said it, but several people in the comments said, administrators need to go back to the classroom. And I think that as well, that every so many years, I don't know how often I think they should go back, but they should go back to the classroom. Now, asking them to go back to the classroom on teacher's pay, I don't know about that part. <laughs> because um, administrators, um, typically, to be an administrator, you have to acquire, um, you have to have some additional degrees and certification. And some of us are in debt for that. So I don't know if it's reasonable to ask us to go back on a teacher salary. But nonetheless, I did it. Um, three years ago, I went back into the classroom. I had been out of the classroom for over a decade. And, um, oh, it probably was like 15 years. And I went back. I initially was subbing because I was teaching teachers at the graduate level, but I was doing that as a part-time adjunct, and it just wasn't paying my bills. So then I took on another um, college, um, excuse me, adjunct position. So I was teaching teachers at the graduate level. I think I was teaching four classes. And then I was teaching two classes of undergrad sociology. And all of that together, teaching six classes, which is a huge load if you're teaching um, in a post-secondary uh, setting. Um, that's not even, that's just a huge load. And even then, it wasn't paying my bills. And um, so then I was like, okay, well, let me do some substitute teaching on the side. And I, I've been wanting to do substitute teaching. And, um, and I really, really love it. I love I love going into a classroom. Typically, when you sub, you're in a classroom where the teacher has been out a lot. And so the behaviors represent that. And I enjoy going into those classrooms. And I enjoy just the, um, I love interrupting the ethos around teaching and substitute teaching. So I come in there with a high level of experience and I'm certified and I typically, not always, but I typically can bring order to that environment. What I find interesting, and I'm going to get to this point because I, I don't, I, I think I want to do some pushback on these teachers I, and I don't, I'm struggling because I'm a teacher advocate, but I also think that teachers could, could be doing more. So let me explain this. So I go into, I'm subbing, and I, let me say this, I'm, I'm a little scattered, excuse me. I'm unscripted, y'all. So I went back, I, I started subbing to, to help me pay the bills. And so I was subbing and teaching six classes and it was just, it wasn't, it didn't make sense. That wasn't good math. And so that, it was a sixth grade 
classroom that I subbed in for about two months. And they were starting to put pressure on me to do like report cards and um, conferences and uh, lesson planning. And I'm like, yo, that's not what substitute teachers are supposed to do. I'm not getting paid to, to do the work of a teacher. And what I found is that they exploit substitute teachers because most are people who don't have a teaching license. So they're in there and they're subbing and then they're being asked to do a lot of extra work on a, on a substitute pay. And so I'm like, you know, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm here for. I'm here to just come in, fill in this, fill in this gap for you, but I'm not going to take on all the other duties of a teacher and not get the teacher pay. You know that I'm certified. If you really want it, if you want me to do all of those things, then you need to give me my teacher pay. And they didn't want to do that. So nonetheless, that position became open and uh, permanently open. And my college, the people I work with are like, are you going to take the position? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't really want the full-time teaching position. But make a long story short, about towards the end of the summer, I was like, you know what? This um, graduate teaching, as much as I enjoy teaching about theory and teaching about pedagogy, which I really, really do, I didn't get as much fulfillment as I was getting teaching that sixth grade classroom. So I, to make a long story short, I ended up taking the sixth grade teaching position and I got my my pay, um, which was still significantly less than I was making when I was doing leadership. But nonetheless, it was more than what I was making teaching uh, uh, in a post-secondary environment. Um, and so I did that. Um, I was the principal was someone I knew and we went to we went to grad school and we got our principal's license together. And I just um, while I respect her and I respect I respect her approach to leadership. I didn't, um, I didn't, um, I don't agree with it. <laughs> so I didn't agree with her style of leadership and we didn't have the best relationship as classmates, as friends. And so it just made it very difficult to work for her. So I finished that year out and I asked for a transfer. I wanted another year in that particular district because I need, I was so close because I had worked for that district at the start of my teaching career. And so I'm like, okay, I wanted so many years in that district. So I took another, I took another year. I did a transfer and I went to a high school and I hadn't taught high school. I don't think I had ever taught in a traditional high school ever. Um, I've taught in a traditional middle school, but I have never taught in a traditional high school. So that was great. Um, that was great. Um, I, um, I had a dream about them last night. I don't know why. But I gave them a year. Now, when I was teaching in that high school, that was during the pandemic. And so I think the first two months I went into the classroom, students were remote, but I went into the school building to teach. Um, I just didn't want to teach in my house. I didn't want that energy in my house. Um, but once the the, pan, the pandemic kind of increased. I did go home. So I was teaching on the screen, and that's not an easy thing to do. So I had one year back in the classroom um, in a traditional sense, and then I had one year teaching in this remote setting. Um, and I'm really, really glad I had that experience. I, I think teaching remotely 
when students are remote, it's not easy because there are a lot of things you do in terms of teaching that's based on relationship building that needs physical proximity. And you don't have that when you're teaching on a screen. However, I think it made me a better practitioner. That that challenge of trying to engage students when you know they are competing with whatever their parents are telling them to do in the background, their video games, their bed. A lot of students were showing up on the screen in the bed. Um, there were some students who were in the bed together. <laughs> so our district. Oh, God. What did our district do? Our district, our district required them to turn off their screens, right? So that was even more difficult to teach to avatars. We didn't, we couldn't, they had to have their cameras off. My God, that was difficult, but I understood. Um, there were, I, I didn't see this because I didn't teach elementary at the time, but there were, um, there were reports of students on the screen, like with their parents getting their hair done while they're on the screen. And one mama, you know, when you, you're doing somebody's hair and they're sitting on the ground and uh, she's in her pajamas. And so the screen is at the level of the child, which means it's at her hip level. And she had no underwear on. Um, and then, so that was, that was not pretty. And then we had a situation in our city where um, the mother was murdered on, on the screen. Um, and it was just horrible. So our district made a decision to um, require the screens cameras to be off. I mean, so that was really difficult trying to get students to do work. And I've always been a teacher committed to rigor and uh, being in an environment where other practitioners didn't promote rigor, didn't believe that rigor was possible. And I also always taught in under um, resource schools, high need schools with students who are, um, would be considered to be having behavior issues. Those are the students I serve. I enjoy serving those students. And I enjoy giving those students a rigorous learning process. And I am able to do that. But what was really challenging for me is that if my 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 administrators didn't really um, challenge me on this. And it's interesting because even when I was subbing in, in, a, in the South, my administrators didn't challenge me. You know who challenged me? My coworkers, other teachers challenged me on the rigor I was trying to engage students. Even something as a um, uh, fire drills. So when we have to take the students out to do fire drills, they're not supposed to be talking. They need to exit out in an orderly fashion. And guess who's able to get the students to do that? I am. While other teachers, kids are not in a single file line. They're not quiet. They're not orderly. And so instead of those teachers asking me how I did what I was doing, in a situation where I'm like the new person, they wanted to tell me that it wasn't appropriate. I'm like, well, I don't know why you think it's not appropriate. It's happening. Um, and it would, and that this is this is kind of the point I want to make. When I say I want to push back on teachers, not all teachers, obviously. But teachers have to fight to be a professional class of people. Because they're, because of the teacher shortage, we have somehow brought in teachers through 
these emergency licensing programs. And I know a lot of teachers who are certified through an emergency program, and they are the bomb.com. So I don't think that teachers who went through an emergency certification process are the problem. I think, but I think because they went through an emergency certification process, there were some, there are some um, attributes to good teaching that they, they don't initially enter into the profession with because they went through an abridged certification process, right? So because they went through an abridged certification process, some of the training they don't get. All right, that's fine by me. I don't I don't even think it's about them. I would I really would love to delete what I just said, but I this is unedited and it's unscripted, so I got to stand by it. I don't really even think it's about those teachers. I just think it's something about how we view teaching. And maybe those who made the decision to create an abridged certification process to usher in people into the classroom, whether they're ready or not. I think it speaks to what we how, what we think about teachers, about the profession. All right. And so in all, teachers are no longer treated as professionals, people who are invested in their craft, invested in the profession. And so you have a lot of monitoring that's happening with teachers, a lot of monitoring, a lot of mandates, and it's really deprofessionalizing the craft. It's deprofessionalizing the profession. It really is. Again, this is not a hit on teachers who have been um, who have gone through an abridged program because truth be told, I want to create an abridged program to um, get people into the classrooms and trained. Um, but I think there's some type, something happening in the ethos where we just don't respect teachers. Um, and I think it's a combination of things. I think it is because there is a shortage because we're unwilling to uh, treat the teachers or the profession as a profession. And so you don't hold on to good teachers. And so then there's this exodus that happens. And then you need to fill those vacancies with sometimes with people who aren't ready. Right. So you have that. Then you have no what was what used to be called the no child left behind legislation, which is all about accountability. Right. And expecting teachers to produce measurable outcomes, measurable results without providing measurable supports. Right. And, and so I think um I just think teachers aren't respected. And I felt that when I went back into the classroom, being a person that holds three degrees, um, being a person that I pretty much consider myself an expert in the field of education. And so having this expert status, this identity and this background in education and going into an environment and being policed and regulated by other teachers was mind-blowing to me. Absolutely mind-blowing. Um, teachers telling me what could and couldn't be done. or And so because I had like these standards for students, I had teachers who were like, Are you, you must be used to teaching in a private school. Because I had this standard that I was holding for these kids who were black and brown and low income. 
and be, and so um, and I had a friend of mine who's a principal who like and and one of the reasons one of the reasons I went back not the primary reason but one of the reasons why I went back to the classroom is because I needed to I needed to hold on to my bragging rights because I I don't know if I should say bragging but I'm out going doing workshops speaking training teachers about effective teachers and people would go it's not the same as it was when you started teaching and to their point that's true teaching isn't the same so I'm like yeah but there's still basic principles to good teaching that still exist and I had co-workers who told co-workers colleagues friends were like no 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 you can't do it and so I had to go back and that was one of the reasons why I'm like okay we're gonna we're gonna prove that I can do this that is doable and so yeah I would tell people, are, are you used to working in, uh, you know, this is a tough district. I'm like, yeah, it is a tough district, but I'm a former charter school founder and operator. And I had the students that the district couldn't handle. The students who came to me in my charter school were the students that got kicked out of that district. So don't tell me what can't be done with these students. And when they came to my school, I had measurable results and I engage them in a rigorous learning process they can do it they want the rigor they want people to believe in them and they want people to hold them accountable so there's this big push about you can't really hold kids accountable you can't suspend them because of data right and this is so this is so ass backwards you have principals who are afraid of um, pushing back to district administrators about accountability, right? So instead of saying, okay, instead of providing an environment where students are required to behave, you just say, okay, we're not going to suspend, we're not going to do anything, and then teachers have to absorb all of that. That's not, it's not, it's not cool. I mean, it's just not cool. But the pushback that I have is that it, if it's going to change, teachers are going to have to do a better job. Teachers are not, when I say teachers have to do a better job, I'm not talking about doing a better job in the classroom. They're going to have to do a better job at showing up at school boards, writing, right, getting blogs, publishing that, making that experience public. Like what this young lady did um, on the YouTube she does it on TikTok, and but this YouTube video is a little more serious than what she does on TikTok. Um, more teachers need to amplify those stories, need to amplify those stories, need to push back on administrators collectively, um, and and go and go to the school boards and hell, go to the United States Department of Education because there are a lot of things happening in these schools. That teachers are being asked to do that they should not be asked to do. But if teachers don't stand up and act as though they are the professionals that they are, that's going to continue to happen. So one of the things that I did in both spaces is, nope, that's not true. When I first went back three years ago into the classroom, I didn't join the union just because I was trying to wrap my mind around um, being back in the classroom. Um, and that they didn't have a strong union organization at the particular school. But by the end of that year, I kept saying there needs to be a building committee of union reps that will um, 
or teachers who are supporting the building, the union reps at the building. And they were, we, I was pushing to get that organized. Okay. So then last year when I went into the high school, I absolutely joined the union and, and, and that was incredibly disorganized. And like, this just, and I, I don't know if it's because of my second degree, my master's is in, I have a dual master's in leadership. One is for instructional leadership and the other is for administrative leadership. And I'm pretty sure I've been thinking a lot about my training, my leadership training. I go into this union commit building committee uh, for this union work and it's just incredibly disorganized, lacking direction, um, lacking organization. And, and, and these are teachers. So I think, I don't know. I don't know if that's a, now that I'm talking this through, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe I, I need to rethink my, my argument because I'm saying teachers need to take on leadership. Basically, that's the short end of it. Need to take on leadership, need to be, need to understand principles of leadership so that they can drive an agenda. They can drive a movement. And, but maybe there, there's, training needed maybe teachers need to be trained for leadership and it's 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 kind of sad actually that when we get trained for leadership we leave the classroom and I've been saying I say all the time give me an environment where I can teach half time where I can teach four I'll even teach four classes and then let me have off in the afternoon to engage in leader building leadership work and that's kind of how I ran my school, my charter school. All of my teachers were considered teacher leaders. So they all had an area of leadership and they had an area of instruction uh, of instruction that they were responsible. We made decisions together. Um, it wasn't completely democratic. Like we always voted, you know, like I've been in some schools where they vote on t buying toilet paper. That's ridiculous. Um, so our shared leadership was like an area of expertise. This is your area of expertise. This is your area of expertise. And with your area of expertise, you come to the table. You let us know what you're doing. And then we support you in that way. Right. And because we all have an area of expertise or an area of leadership, we all need to be supported. And that that is how we shared leadership. Right. I fundamentally believe good teaching does require teachers to have a leadership orientation in their profession. And so. I think that this reflection was really good for me because I have never thought about this idea of pushing, asking teachers to push back on administration, to push back on the public. Um, I, and I've said this for a long time, even when I was, before I even moved into leadership, when I was a teacher and I was, I think even before I got my master's in, in leadership. I've always said teachers need to push back more. Um, those of you who follow my project, you know what it means to be an Enneagram type eight. You know, type eights, we don't like anybody taking power over us. Like we are, we are the power type. And so maybe that's been my orientation. I mean, not maybe, but that's been my orientation all along about power, even before I got trained as a leader. Um, but I think this reflection has been good for me because I think what's missing for teachers 
um, is the leadership training. Oh my God, this is so good. And so it's this other thing, like we, they, it was, it was just so annoying. The two years that I was back in a classroom, it was so annoying, the professional development, uh, the PDs that I was asked to participate in. Because, you know, we ask teachers to do what's called differentiation, right? Understand that your learners are bringing in different skill sets, different um, contextual background uh, realities. So take that lesson, take the, take the objective and differentiate it to meet the different levels of interest and the different skill levels of your students. Yet when we provide PD to teachers, we don't differentiate. And so the first school, I, the, the sixth grade classroom that I, I, I was subbing in and then I took it as a full-time teaching assignment, um, I, 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 I was, oh, I know what I was going to say. The interesting thing about that school, most of those teachers were, most of those teachers had been teaching over 10 years. And I don't, I didn't find the PD to be as insulting in terms of skill level about basics of teaching. What I did find was that there was like this contradiction. So like the lady said, and I can't think of her name, but the YouTube lady that I'm talking about, um, the teacher on the YouTube that I just lit, the content I just took in, um, they talk about um, like work-life balance, do self-care, right? But then you're not creating a structure for teachers to have work-life balance, for teachers to do care. Don't give me a PD and, and espouse a thing and don't and not put in the structure for teachers to actually do it. So those were PDs that I found annoying, right? But when I went to this, that high school, most of the teachers were under 10 years. I think I was, I surveyed most of those te- teachers at max had eight years of teaching experience. And then they were in these um, quasi leadership roles, like these um, department chairs. They were at department chairs, but they weren't, they hadn't been trained in, le- in any kind of leadership uh, training. And so the, all the PDs were like fundamental, basic elementary, um, basics, like teaching basics. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> but I, that was part of the job. I had to, I had to succumb to that. And that is why I think if more administrators, leaders went back to the classroom, then they would know that you're going to have to change those PDs up. Now, let me fast forward to where I'm at today. So I'm still was considered in a teaching position, but I'm a teacher that works and supports district level agendas. So um, I support five schools, and um, and it, it's it's a position that needs to be refined, and I've been fighting for that, but um, for it to be refined, because I think I think this position can do more than they have structurally positioned it to do. But I'm in a good position with my my supervisor, who for the most part allow she allows me to refine it for the most part. Um, we have a new superintendent that now that's going to be the question, what he is going to envision for this position. And so far, what he says for this position, I'm in agreement with, I'm just not sure he has the right people 
in those supervisory positions that are above me who have the skill set to roll out his vision. I mean, that's just my honest opinion about it. And so um, I've been vacillating between do I want to get in his face and, and, and say, pick me to help roll out your vision or to not be on his radar? Um, one of the things I'm concerned about is to be on his radar and then be asked to do the work and not get elevated to one of to those um, administrative positions, you know, to, to the pain. So asking me to do something that the administrators can't do and then not give me the pay to do it is something that I've been, you know, um, mindful of. But I've committed to doing it this year because I'm enjoying it. So let me say this and then I'm going to bring closure. Um, um, so it's funny because out of the five schools that I support, two of the principals have asked me to do PDs. And one principal, I've been working with him on PDs from the first semester, even though I didn't deliver it. I helped to design the PD. And I keep saying, you've got to respect what teachers bring to the table. You can't. So if the superintendent wants, so I guess the superintendent wants to focus on learning targets, right? That's fine. But instead of just going into those school teachers and going to those teachers saying, I'm going to teach you about learning targets, what you should do first is to find out what those teachers bring to the table already. What do they already know about learning tar- targets and what is their commitment to learning targets? Find out where they are and then ask them what they need, right? Most teachers I know want to grow. They want to be successful. Ask them what they need. Now, in addition to asking them what they need, you need to be prepared. They're going to ask for support. This is the other thing I've found out because I've been coaching teachers. And so the teachers that have come to me asking me to coach them are teachers who are struggling with behavior management. All right. Now, there are things that they need to do. There are fundamental things that they need to do better as teachers. But one thing that they need is a structure to manage those behaviors. Because not every teacher comes to that to the table with a gift to know how to manage behaviors. That's just not an easy thing to do. And I'm saying that because it was a mistake I made when I became a principal of my own school. <laughs> um, I made the mistake because I didn't want to micromanage teachers. I wanted to respect them. And I, I was I tried to be hands off. I found that a lot of teachers just genuinely do not know how to manage behaviors. They don't know how to do it. And so I had to institute a process, a a, a discipline process for managing behaviors, a school-wide management process, process. And over the last three years of me returning to this role of a teacher, I'm using air quotes, I have been struck by the absence of a school-wide process. Uh, for be, for behavior behavior management, and when I go to the principals and I say there needs to be a behavior process, um, one principal just told me two weeks ago we have a school policy on behavior. You got a policy, but that's different from a process. And so, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I you know what I actually think. I think we put all this pressure on teachers. I really do. And I do think 
I mean, I think teaching is an awesome profession, and I think teachers can handle the pressure. I, I, um, I wouldn't want to see the teaching profession weakened. I think the teachers who can't, I think, and I'm going to say this is going to be mean, but I think teachers who really can't handle the work really should leave. Because I don't think teaching is for the faint at heart. I really do, you know, and I, sometimes I'm not supporting, I don't support the argument you need to pay teachers more because I'm afraid of bringing in people who want that salary, who aren't here, they can't do the work. So, but I think that there's got to be somewhere, we got to meet in the middle because you do have, when you have good teachers leaving, that's the problem, right? Um, so we just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you one thing. This reflection in in this freestyling, rambling way has been really good for me because I think two things. One is that I do think teachers need to, when all the PDs that we're doing with them, they don't need a lot of the PDs. A lot of the PDs that we're giving teachers, they don't need that. Um, basics. Are you kidding me? That's what they got degrees for. Unless they, unless you have a school full of people who got some kind of emergency license and they didn't go through the full, um, just the full uh, uh, spectrum of teacher training. Um, I'm going to take a look at some emergency teaching programs too, just to see and put them side by side to a traditional uh, teaching uh, training uh, process because I'm I want to be better prepared when I talk about this in the future and I know I'm going to get some pushback from teachers <laughs> if they hear this I already know it and I need to be prepared for that um, but most PDs are providing training what you get in your teacher 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 education program unless they're not getting it I don't know why they need to get that at the PD level. What I think needs to happen, teachers need to be trained on leadership. And while they're getting trained on leadership, those principals need to sit down and get trained on leadership as well. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. There's a, to me, there's a significant leadership gap in these schools. And so that's a major takeaway for me in this reflection. Teachers need to be trained on leadership for teacher leadership. And something has to be evaluated in these principles unless unless this is not a principal problem, unless this is a district problem and principals are not really being allowed to lead, right? They're middle managers. They're promote, they're pushing someone else's agenda. And one of the things I loved, I love about this new superintendent that he's saying, I hope what he's saying is going to be rolled out. I really, really do. But one of the th- things he says is like, the district should be supporting principals, not directing principals. Principals need to be leaders of their own building. And these principals that I've seen in multiple districts are not their they're like middle managers, and then you got like a area super. They have a supervisor over them. Then they have an area superintendent over them, and, and then, I mean it is ridiculous. All of the levels, like the these, um, it's just so top heavy. 
And when it's top heavy, all of these, um, these mandates come down and it hits the teachers. And I was in a meeting, I've been in meetings all semester. And I'm like, and we have to have teachers do this. We have to have teachers do this. And I'm like, yo, wait a minute. Do you know how many mandates were given these teachers? Stop it. Stop it. So I, I, on one hand, I absolutely agree that they're, uh, what we're asking teachers to do is ridiculous. We're asking them to do things that they really shouldn't be doing. Back up and back off of these teachers and let them be good teachers. Hold them accountable for being good teachers. How about this? Hold them accountable for outcomes. But stop mandating processes. And stop mandating a one-size-fits-all PD. Differentiate it. Say, do you need this? Do you need this? Do you need this? Let teachers choose what they need. So start teaching, treating teachers as a professional class. And I think principals also need to push back. And I've told, well, I told one principal, you can't push back, let me do it. This is one of the things I think a union can, uh, the union could do better. I don't know if I, I don't know if, I don't know if about saying the union, but these union reps, these building committees, uh, they could do better. They can push the, they can push it. So across the board, I'm going to say there's just a gross absence of leadership across the board. And I don't know where that's coming from. The only thing I can say that is coming from the, at the top at the district level. But I don't have enough district experience to say that. And I don't want to judge the current district that I'm in. But I think that there's an, uh, and there's, um, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the people lacking leadership or the structure doesn't allow for it. You know, and I think being a person that has designed my own school, I fundamentally believe there's a relationship between the design, the structure of the environment, and the outcomes. So, you know, you can put pressure on teachers, you can put pressure on the leaders, but the, the, the space needs to be structured in a way to produce the desired results. So I don't know if this reflection will have any value for anybody. I don't know if anybody's listened to it, but I'm going to tell you one thing. It has helped me. I feel like this is going to be uh, something that I'm going to take to my primary podcast because I'm going to do a season where I'm going to call it the unreturn, like how I returned to the classroom, but I really didn't return to what I, it's just a different experience. It's just a different experience. And I think this reflection on What's come through for me is this: the absence of leadership from the bottom of the of this hierarchy, because the education world, the schooling environment, is a hierarchy which I can't stand. From the bottom to the top, and I have just been pushing back for the last three years, and never, never thinking that what I was pushing back on was this idea of leadership, the absence of leadership. That's what I've been pushing. For for the last three years, not knowing it, I've been pushing very in different ways, but it's really about leadership. So I'm really excited that I've done this reflection. Um, and so to this, to anybody who listens to me from that content, because I am going to share this link, I am going to say a couple of things. You need to go in. You need to be trained on start learning principles of leadership, and take those principles and push 
this agenda that teachers need to be treated as a professional class. And there's no way we're going to get people to respect teachers as a professional class if teachers don't put in the labor for it. And so I'm, it's unfortunate. It's more work that you're going to have to do. But you have to push back. You have to push back on those administrators. You push back on the union. You go to the school board meetings because what they're, how they are treating these teachers, it is ridiculous. But there needs to be some kind of organizational pushback. Okay? That's the only way it's going to change. So, yeah, you can do a mass exodus. If this ain't your jam, then you do need to leave. But for those of us who are really, we were called to teach. It's in our blood. And I've, trust me, I've tried to leave the teaching profession. So some of you leaving, you're, you, if it's in your blood, you'll come back. You're going to come back to it. But I would argue instead of leaving, organize and push back. It's power in numbers. There's safety in numbers. Organize, 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 organize. And push back. Push back, okay? Push back and hang in there. Hang in there because the kids need, they don't, they can't do an exodus. And they need you to fight for them. Even if it's, here's another thing you can do. Your administration, your district is asking you to do these extra things that are ridiculous. Don't do it. If you're going to leave anyway, let them fire you. They're not going to fire you. Don't do it. There are these, there are things that they're asking you to do. There's just too much. Don't do it. Focus on what matters. You're going to have to teach those kids. Unfortunately, and I hate this, by the way, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I'm going to say it. If students need to learn the rules of school, I hate rules of school, you guys. But if they need to learn it, if you need them to learn the rules of school for your kind of teaching, then teach them the rules. Teach them the rules. Create a process for managing those behaviors. And when I say a process, rewards and there needs to be accountability. And if any teacher needs help with that, that is my area of expertise. I will come, I will come out of this alias hat that I'm under. If you contact me, go to my website, yournidom.wordpress. I will come out of my alias and I will, and I will, I will help you. I will definitely help you. It can be done. You can create a, a process at the classroom level, but you're going to have to be a disruptor. So when I did that, in both schools that I was at, the school didn't have a school a management process. Well, because I've created a school-wide management process, I knew how to do it. I created one at the classroom level, and then I went and told the principal, this is what we're going to do. When that, when that behavior exceeds what I can do as a classroom teacher, this is what I'm going to need you to do. I did this before I was a school leader. And uh, you, can, you can do it. You can do it. Push back. You're going to have to push back. Yes, leaving is one way to handle it. But push back is another way to handle it. And those kids, not only do they need the they might need the rules of school if that's what you need to do for them. Um, but they need to be loved on. And they need, to, they need to be cared for. But I'm going to tell you, most kids don't want just love, feel good. They want to, they want structure. They want accountability. They want to be respected. They want you to believe that they can do better. Even when they don't act better, when they don't act right, they want you to believe that they can do better. Because sometimes that acting out is for show. 
It's for their peers. They want you to hold them accountable. Believe it or not, they want to be better. So you can do it. Hang in there, you guys. Hang in there. Hang in there. So anyway, you guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. This conversation on teaching and leadership and discipline and classroom management and rigor, because I've spent a lot of time talking about management, but rigor, academic rigor is really the first piece of discipline, believe it or not. When a student, when students don't feel that they're being challenged academically, that's one of the reasons why they will act out. They can handle rigor. Stop it. Stop, stop believing that they can't. That might, you might need to differentiate a little bit <laughs> or a lot bit, but they can handle rigor. So if this conversation on discipline, uh, instruction, teaching, leadership, uh, unions, uh, district level work, if any of this has had any, has connected to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. Feel comfortable and just tell them to go to a particular minute in the reflection. Don't ask them to listen to the whole thing. Um, but please take this link and share it with those people you've had this conversation with, okay? And if my moving about in this unscripted, rambly kind of way has inspired some randomness in you, I'd love to hear it. Um, I'm going to ask one of my teacher friends to listen to this because I really want to know, because she works at the district level, I really want to know what her thoughts are on what is the problem? Like, really, we're going to say, what is the problem? Because this mass exodus is ridiculous. Even though I think some people do need to leave the profession, if they're not in it, if they can't handle it, I do think they need to leave. But this mass exodus, we can do better. And where is the solution? Who's responsible? I'm going to say it's the school board. The school board and the union. That's where I'm going to put most of that emphasis. I don't know. But I'm going to ask her to take a listen to it. But um, if you guys have had some randomness as I've moved through my randomness, please uh, share that randomness with me. I'd love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. I'm in a series, you guys, on trauma. <laughs> dealing with my own trauma and my healing. And uh, so this was a nice break from talking through that pain stuff, that pain, that healing work is not easy. It is. And it's, and especially from childhood trauma or familial trauma, it's not an easy thing. Um, so I'm, when I come back, I'm probably going to be back in that, <laughs> but this has been a nice break. Let me give you an assignment. I don't know. Let me give an assignment that isn't just related to teachers and educators. Give me one second. Um, I've been um, the pause button for about <laughs> maybe 10 minutes. I've been reading on um, leadership as I'm on travel. I don't have my books with me. So I went to the Internet to look up just some basic principles of leadership and just got caught. I got swept up with a lot of lists, like five things. For effective leadership. And I'm like, no, that's not about effective leadership. So I started judging these lists and all that. So then I'm like, I should come up with my own list. <laughs> I'm going to do my own list on what is effective leadership. Um, so that's coming. But in the meantime, this is your homework assignment. I think at the heart for me, uh, what I think is good leadership is about having a vision, having a plan, taking action, and, um, and empowering others to do the same. Um, I would say, the, for me, those are four basic elements of good leadership. And I'm just winging it because uh, I haven't really thought this through. I've thought 
years and years I've thought about what is an effective teacher, but I've never really thought about uh, what is an effective leader. And that's not true. I created a framework once, the anatomy of a leader. I forgot about that. And I think there are 12 aspects of a good leader. I got to go find that. But anyway, (laughs) your homework assignment is this. Um, What is an area in your life that you need to take some action in? And I'm going to even push you. What is an area in your life that you have to you have to calibrate the vision? Because sometimes we don't take an, take action because we don't have a better vision of a thing. So the thing that we the, the thing that we're struggling is and we can't see anything better. And so we just endure it. So what is an area that in your life that you're struggling in and you first need to have a vision of something better? Force yourself to see it differently and, and and write it out. Write out a vision for that thing and make it as detailed as possible. I mean, really tap into your imagination because I'm telling you, if you can't see it, you can't take action on it. Um, and I think oftentimes the action we take is based on what we see and we recreate the problem. And I'm, a, I'm really big on taking ownership of any problem, taking ownership of it. And I know that's it's tough to do that sometimes. So write out a vision and be as detailed as possible. And if you, once you do that, create a plan for that and then take action. But my, my, assign, my, my homework assignment to you is what is an area that you're struggling in? And I was going to tell you to take action. I don't want to ask you to take action. I actually want you to write out a vision of something better. And then part two, write, create a plan. As in step one, step two, step three. Right? And that plan shouldn't have more than ten steps to it. If it's going to be reasonable. Now, each step might need might have some many steps. But anywhere between seven to ten steps. Okay, write out the vision and then a a seven to ten step plan for that, for implementing that vision. Okay, do it. This is a great time to do that at the beginning. We're getting ready to go into a new year. There's a problem in your life. Identify it. Create a vision. Write out that vision. Be as detailed as possible. Even write a story about it. Right. Be as descriptive as possible of the vision and then create a seven to ten step uh, action plan. For implementing it okay you guys it's been a pleasure hanging out with you i'm gonna come back and finish my episodes for the year for the season i have five more to do i think <laughs> so i'm gonna be talking to you guys a lot today and i'm gonna come back and, and pick up that work on healing stuff but um until i come back be well bye <laughs>